Hey, this is Diana, the Bard of Hudson. What the heck does that mean? A bard is just a storyteller. So here I am to share stories with you. What was it like growing up in the 60s and 70s? Did I really meet Bob Marley on an airplane? I hope you enjoy listening to my crazy life and that it inspires you to share your stories in some way. One great way to share your thoughts with me is through my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Diana the Bard. There you can see the photos and written materials that enrich my stories with visuals. Please check it out. And wherever you're listening, please rate and review and share the podcast. I'd love to hear what you think. At the end of the day, human connection is all we have. Enjoy. Hello, good morning. Thank you for joining me. I say morning. It's the morning after Christmas for me and I'm up because I realized I didn't have a podcast episode for today. So by God, I better get one. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I mean, I had a plan for one in any case. And my plan was to follow one of those things that I remember um, wanting to follow when I was a teenager. Right after Christmas, it seemed to start was Casey Kasem's Countdown to New Year's Eve. And I don't know if you remember that anybody in my age range, but it was basically a countdown of the top 100 songs of the year on the radio station. And this was, of course, pre-interwebs, where we didn't have all of that information coming to us by the second. You know, we didn't have the Spotify wrap-up of your year and how that looks, although I do love that. I love... um I love the Spotify roundup because it's a surprise to me always. It's like, what did I listen to the most? Wow, that was so cool. Last year, apparently my favorite artist was Cesaria Evora, of all things. And I guess I must have listened to a lot of her while I was sewing. I do love her music. so sublime. So I thought in the last few days of the year, I would do some mathematical assessments of my own. And today, I'm going to start with the books that I read this year. So, this year, I made a huge career shift. And I decided that I was going to be an entrepreneur at the ripe old age of 60. (laughs) Okay, the ripe young age of 60. Great, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, I did. I opened a business when I was nearly 40 also. And that was the Children's Shakespeare Theater. But somehow that didn't feel as serious because it was started on a lark and it was mostly about playing (laughs) at first. So I didn't think about it as, ooh, I just opened a business. I'm an entrepreneur. Um, So this time I'm making a big shift, right? And I'm moving into the world of finance. And so I thought, well, I have to really be serious about this now. So I started doing lots of research and learning tons of new stuff. Um, First about online course creation and then digital marketing, honing my skills in the stock market and options trading so that I would be ready to take on students. And uh, around August, I realized that I had already read about 30 books or so. So I thought, ooh, I wonder if I could make it to that. CEO threshold of 50 or so because that's a I don't know if it's a myth but it's a common thing that um, 
apparently CEOs read a book a week and that is how they keep on top of things and keep smart and keep sharp and such. So, and maybe CEOs have more time, I don't know, on their yachts and whatever they can, you know, because I find I do get a lot of reading done on vacations, of course, you know, and mostly those are novels and that's one of the joys of lying on the beach for me. So I I had a very mix of books on my list. I started by reading a whole lot of Neil Gaiman because I was uh, taking a Neil Gaiman writing course. So I read American Gods and then I read some of the smaller books that I hadn't read, Coraline and Stardust and The Graveyard Book. And I read the book Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell. I read that twice. Oh my gosh, that, that is a beautiful, beautiful book. So beautifully written. Um, I highly recommend it about uh, Shakespeare's son dying of the plague. And so interesting because Shakespeare, the word Shakespeare is never mentioned. The word William is never mentioned. So it's really from the point of view of the other people in that story. And I love that. Um, I read a lot of books about, you know, money and such, um, and habits. I read The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. I read The How of Happiness by Sonia Lyubomirsky. And, uh, you know, trying to stab at various concepts and, and ideas of, of what, what helps you to become more solid in your methods in terms of learning and developing your business, right? So I started by reaching for anything that attracted me, figuring there would be some reason for that in the end. So of course, a book with the title Unfuck Yourself caught my eye. <laughs> Unfuck Yourself by J Gary John Bishop and uh, some great bullet points ideas there that help you to focus on what the heck do you actually want. It starts with a quote that says, you have the life you are willing to put up with. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So you have created all of the things. And he does a lot of talking about um, certainty and seeking certainty and trying to avoid discomfort. So, yeah, you know, examining how you got to wherever you got to. And there's a wonderful ironic bit in the middle there, reading it from the perspective of sitting here in the middle of a pandemic, um, because he says, you know, we're looking for certainty and there's a reason for that. Until fairly certain, recently, the world was a much scarier place for the likes of you and me. Every step into the unknown was a dance with death. Life was one big game of Russian roulette. And he goes on to say, sure, there are deadly diseases and the threat of random acts of violence or catastrophe, but the chances of you catching a mystery zombie virus or being swept up with Dorothy and Toto to a fantastical Hollywood dreamland are, I'm happy to say, slim. <laughs> so I was like, um, not as slim as you think, no. Not these days, no. <laughs> so that, I, I got a bit of a chuckle there. Um, 
And he concludes, you know, he concludes by giving you some rah-rah, you know, uh, cheering on. And he says, you don't have to feel like today is your day. You just have to act like it is. So it was all about retraining your brain one new idea at a time. Then, you know, I did in my basic finance books, I did read a lot of um, ideas about, you know, how, how women deal with money and particularly. And there's a great book called Women with Money by Jean Chatsky. And she is like the financial advisor for AARP. And she's examining how women uh, treat money differently in their lives than men. And this is a quote, women are so deeply rational. And there is that piece, the estrogen piece that is fearful of rocking the boat of harming relationships. There are fear, there's a fear of being seen by other people as boy, she thinks she's better than us, right? So why are women so afraid of their power? She asks, and this wise therapist pointed out powerful women have been burned at the stake. <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. But you know, we need to embrace our power and step up to the plate and allow that in ourselves because the time, the time is now. But then finally, all of these finance books and this kind of research led me to a book that was a game changer called The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. I think I've probably mentioned it here before um, because it exploded my brain in a way that other things have not yet. And it starts right away with a quote from Oscar Wilde that says, anyone who lives within their means suffers from a lack of imagination. So Tim Ferriss explores all of the ideas that got us to where we are in this socialized capitalism that we all subscribe to. And he busts those ideas open and tries to show us another way, which is really cool. Like capitalism has set us up to think that we have to earn our way to a comfortable rest at some point. But then he asks the questions, how do your decisions change if retirement isn't an option? Like these days, more and more of us are like, well, I'm never going to get to stop working because I still have to be making money, right? And he asks the question, is it really necessary to work like a slave to live like a millionaire? So that started to turn my ideas around and thinking, you know, we, we don't have to wait till retirement. You don't have to have a million dollars in the bank to be able to, or whatever it is now they're saying a million doesn't even cut it, right? You don't have to have that in the bank to be able to do those things that you've been thinking about doing, right? Here's an amazing quote. He says, someday is a disease that will take your dreams to the grave with you. Oh my goodness. You know, he's talking about the timing is never right. The timing is never right to stop a job or, or, you know, 
make a plan for that incredible trip that you have been promising yourself forever. The timing is never right. So just make a plan to change that idea. And he embraces these concepts called mini retirements, where he says, you know, you arrange it by a whole system of various um, means, you arrange your life so that you're able to take three weeks away to go to, like my thing, Thailand and swim with the elephants. And reading this book led me in a whole myriad of other wonderful directions, like reading about voluntary poverty in the book Less is More. It's the art of cutting down on things in order to have a richer life. This is something that I've always thought about, like, oh God, the pile of things that I have to take care of in my life. And he says, you know, that that makes you be working all the time to justify this, you know, larger house and and pile of toys that that is just ridiculous. When you can go and use those things anyway, you can go and rent large houses and enjoy them for a little while. And those kind of things, you know, rather than like, I have to have, I have to have, yeah. So there's a wonderful quote in the middle there too from Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, who was the guy who wrote The Little Prince. And he says, perfection is not when there is no more to add, but no more to take away. So that is a concept that I'm working with now is like eliminating those needless things, eliminating the needless busyness that you like think you have to be doing, right? Working on all these things. Um, a beautiful concept of outsourcing because there was a, a mind-blowing concept that I don't know why it's mind-blowing. It seems so obvious, but the idea of when of not having to put so much effort into learning how to do every single piece of any one project of or, or of any kind of business. So, but, but working with the idea of who, not how, like, I don't have to find out how to do it. I just have to find out that person who can do it. So I actually hired a, a virtual assistant who lives in India and <laughs> He, it's wonderful. I love working with him and he is doing things like fixing up my website and, um, you know, figuring out the Facebook ads and stuff for me, which is all stuff that I suck at, frankly. So I'm really enjoying that piece. And then he brought up a thing called Pareto's Law, where he says 80% of outputs result in 20% of inputs. So to identify those things that are the strongest things that are bringing in 80% of your enjoyment and to focus more on those or by, by, you know, in flipping that idea to identify the 20% of sources in your life that cause you 80% of your stress and get rid of those, right? <laughs> That's a wonderful concept. And ultimately that book was about liberation. And it led me to a wonderful book called Vagabonding by Rolf Potts. And that is a practical guidebook on how to make all of those mini retirements work. It's incredible. And I, I 
underlined so much stuff in there, but I'm just going to give you one quote where he says, time becomes the only possession and everyone is equally rich in it by biological inheritance. So time, what are you going to do with your precious time? My friends, now I'm going to leave you with some sublime words because what I'm doing with my precious time right now is I am reading a book called The Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. And Annie Dillard is a magnificent writer. And it's weird because I went into Barnes & Noble looking for it, trying to gift it to somebody, but it's not there. So I would recommend finding it in some way. And this is a book that she wrote when she was 27. And I'm sure that everything she's written since must be magnificent. Here's a small passage from this book just to give you an idea of her words and the way that she thinks. I want to think about trees. Trees have a curious relationship to the subject of the present moment. There are many created things in the universe that outlive us, that outlive the sun even, but I can't think about them. I live with trees. There are creatures under our feet, creatures that live over our heads, but trees live quite convincingly in the same filament of air we inhabit, and in addition, they extend impressively in both directions, up and down, shearing rock and fanning air, doing their real business just out of reach. A blind man's idea of hugeness is a tree. They have their sturdy bodies and special skills. They garner fresh water. They abide. This sycamore above me, below me, by Tinker Creek, is a case in point. The sight of it crowds my brain with an assortment of diverting thoughts, all as present to me as these slivers of pressure from grass on my elbow's skin. I want to come at the subject of the present by showing how consciousness dashes and ambles around the labyrinthian tracks of the mind, returning again and again, however briefly to the senses. If there were but one erect and solid standing tree in the woods, all creatures would go to rub against it and make sure of their footing. But so long as I stay in my thoughts, my foot slides under trees. I fall or I dance. Oh, so I wish you beautiful words. Go and find them. Go and find some of these incredible books. And I'm reading also The Greek Islands by Lawrence Durrell. Oh, so I'm living the last few days of this year in sublime words. And I want to encourage you to go out there and read, guys. I know we always say, oh, I don't have time. I don't have time. I've got to get this thing done. Make time. Make time to make yourself smarter and discover something new. Bless you all. See you tomorrow. Want to make some juicy passive income but don't know where to start? You need to check out Girls Trade 2. Girls Trade 2 is an online community of women learning to trade in the stock market so they can boost their savings and get off that dang hamster wheel of work, work, work. So if you want some help figuring out the stock market, check out a free web class at girlstrade2.com.
Thanks for listening. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Instagram at Diana the Bard or on Facebook at Diana Green. And check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Diana the Bard for photos and other fun additions. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you're listening. It makes a world of difference and helps others to find the show. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Bye.